folks, it's time to go on a journey across the Sinnoh region with our old friends Piplup and Turtwig. In this episode, we're talking about Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. These faithful remakes capture the size and scale of the original DS releases while bringing them into the modern age of video games. Do Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl stand the test of time, or are they just another drop in an ocean of remakes and remasters? Welcome to the Totally Biased Media Podcast, a show where three losers complain about a children's game. I'm Jordan. I'm Jason. And I'm Jackson. And let's get into it. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are the newest games in the Pokemon franchise. This time, the Pokemon Company has brought on the company Ilka. That's I Love Computer Arts. Not to be confused with the International Lactation Consultant Association or the International Laser Class Association or the Illinois Landscape Contracted Association. This is just Ilka. They're the, the video game guys. They've worked on games like Yakuza 0, Dragon Quest 9, Nier, and Ace Combat 7. Before we can talk Pokemon, we got to talk about our experience with Pokemon. So Jackson, you're the newest one in, in this whole franchise. So where did you sort of start with the Pokemon series and what are some of your favorites? So technically, the first Pokemon game I ever played was White 2. But uh, I was young and wasn't good at keeping up with DS games, so I lost it in a hotel in Tennessee. So really, the first Pokemon game I ever played was Pokemon Y, which honestly, I'd still say is my favorite because I'm blinded by nostalgia. Aren't we all? <laughs> I think we're going to talk about that extensively this episode. <laughs> That's like the point of Pokemon. <laughs> that was my first introduction to the series, and I think it was a pretty good one. My favorite Pokemon is from that gen. That's Greninja, again, because of nostalgia. <laughs> it has some of my favorite legendaries. It has probably one of my favorite Pokemon maps. Um, you know, then I moved on to, you know, Mega Ruby Off Sapphire, which is also pretty high up there. Sun and Moon, which were, you know, they were good, but, you know, not great. I didn't even play, uh, Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. <laughs> and then I played Sword and Shield, which, um, I guess you're just kind of there. Jason, what's your experience with the series like? Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that my answer to this one, at least for what my first game was, is the same as yours. Pokemon Blue. Although, much like Jackson, I was entirely too young to be playing Pokemon, didn't really have any idea what was going on. Too much reading. <laughs> yeah. I remember finding it mixed in with all of our other Game Boy games, and I really liked the Pokemon TV show, but when I really got into Pokemon was around Gen 3. I think the first Pokemon game I ever really got into was Pokemon Emerald. I remember buying it because it had uh, the cool green case. Or, you know, the cartridge was green instead of just, like, the normal black or whatever the clear ugly. I, the first game I ever got that was truly just mine, like, one I didn't have to share with Jordan, was probably Pokemon Pearl. So I do have a lot of fond memories and experience with the, the Gen 4 Pokemon games. And I think that kind of carried over into this game. How about you, Jordan? So I did start with Gen 1. I think I would have been... Only about, I don't know, six or seven, I think, when I first got it. And it was a lot of reading, 
I wasn't very good at balancing my party. I think I played like the first three gyms of <laughs> of Pokemon Blue several times, but didn't really make it far past that. It was Gen 2 was when I finally like got my head wrapped around it a bit, and I really got to enjoy the gameplay and the Pokemon themselves and some of the progression stuff. So I think Gen 2 is where I like really got hooked on the series. But I actually think my favorite game in the whole series... Uh, across all the originals and the remakes would probably be Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire because I think that they capture what was really cool about the original, but they really revolutionized the style and how the post-game and Pokemon games can go. And it just it just did a lot of very cool stuff. So I think that, that that's probably my favorite, which is one of the more recent ones, and the last remake before the games we're talking about today. Um, well, unless you count, let's go, Pikachu and Eevee. Yeah, 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 which those were fine. <laughs> you know, I guess I would also probably say that Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire are my favorites. Like, if we're talking the whole series. Yeah, I'm going to actually go back on what I said. Gen 6 is my favorite gen, but Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire is the best games. They're just They're just solid remakes. Like, they do what they're yeah. supposed to do and a lot more, which is rare for remakes. They had actual flying. Yeah, it also had the soaring mechanic, which was very, very cool. Getting to fly over a 3D version of the map instead of just point-and-click traveling. Okay, well, that's our history with the franchise. So let's talk a little bit about what we did with Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. With it being two games, we kind of split the uprights. So I played Brilliant Diamond and went with the Chimchar line, where you have to pick three stars at the beginning. What did you guys go with? Yeah, we both played Shining Pearl. I went with Turtwig, personally, because I think Torterra is awesome. Like, a big turtle with basically an island on its back is awesome. I mean, I personally picked my starters based off uh, the first forms instead of the final. I really like Piplup. It's just, it's a little penguin. Like, it's cute. <laughs> I think for me, Empoleon is one of my absolute favorite Pokemon across the entire series. But I had never played a Gen 4 Pokemon game at, with Chimchar as my starter, so I wanted to go that route. And Infernape is real, real good. Honestly, a lot of the early game, it's like playing on easy mode when you have him on your team. So, yep. So we have, we have both versions of the game and all three of the starters covered. So you know you're getting a diverse set of, <laughs> diverse set of opinions from us three straight white guys. I think diversity uh, is kind of what the Totally Biased Media podcast is really built on. There's actually something I want to talk about a little bit. So how much did you guys play these games? Uh, these games? Like this one in particular? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how much time have you put into these games? It's hard to say for sure. I I beat the Elite Four and the Champion, and I'm kind of just legendary chasing after you beat the game, because there's like the three lake legendaries and then giratina that you can catch so i'm trying to get those i would probably guess 20 something hours maybe a little bit less jackson i know you're not very far into this one about how far did you make it into the story well last thing i did was arrive at the first gym and your rival who i uh, named after my five-year-old brother is he then tells me he already beat the gym but then the gym leader uh ran to a cave and i was like yeah this is enough of this for now uh, and that was like last night. The reason I wanted to ask is because I've listened to, uh, or I've read a couple reviews for this game. 
I've listened to a podcast of an, another group talking about this game. I've sort of observed our experiences with this game. And I have a theory about how Pokemon fans play Pokemon games. <laughs> I think of it sort of like a bell curve, like a reverse bell curve. So when you first find the Pokemon series, just about everybody's real hype about it, like real excited about these games. But that only lasts for a couple of generations, and then your interest kind of fades for a couple generations. Then you get really into it again for a couple generations. Like my experience was I played a ton of 1 through 3. I think I finished 4, but I did very little at the time. I've played a lot of Gen 4 since, but at the time I did very little aside from just beat the game once. And I did not play much of anything of Gen 5 and didn't get on Gen 6 until real long after it came out. So, like, played a lot of Pokemon, fell off for a couple Gens, and then have been really back into it the last little bit. And I think, Jason, it seems like you had a similar experience where you kind of fell off around Gens 5 and 6. And Jackson is currently in his fell off the series (laughs) face. Yeah, like I said, I started with Gen 6, you know, then I, I liked Gen 7, not as much as Gen 6, did not like Gen 8, <laughs> even that, getting into that was kind of rough, I did end up playing Sword, uh, I think, no, Shield, I didn't even beat it until probably like half a year after it came out, but after playing that I really fell off there. Which has been making getting into this hard. <laughs> yeah, I would say I'm really in my Pokemon Renaissance. Because, I mean, I played... I never really played Gen 2. Uh, and the the remake of Gen 2 definitely came while I was kind of out of the series. But I played a lot of, specifically, Fire Red, Emerald, and I had Diamond when I had it on my DS. I played those a lot. Uh, and then Gen 5 came out, uh, the black and white games, and I... I just didn't care. Didn't even buy them. Which was weird, because I was, like, super into Platinum as well when it came out. Uh, but when Gen 5 came out not long afterwards with Black and White, I didn't care. I didn't get Black and White. Didn't get Black and White 2. Uh, I played through X and Y, but I didn't really love it. I played Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, and I did love it. And that just made me think, oh, well, the Pokemon games must have just gotten worse. But I think it was just nostalgia <laughs> powering me through those games. I, I especially feel that now looking at like the Pokemon subreddit and stuff, which um, are some of the lowest forms of humanity. <laughs> there is a lot of love for Gen 5, which I thought was totally insane at the time. Gen 5, from my understanding, is like a real RPG like, they tried to make Pokemon serious, and people didn't like it. That's at least what I've always heard. I think my problem with it was I was like a junior in high school and was pretending I was too cool for kids' games. <laughs> I didn't really have a phase where I thought I was too cool. I just kind of fell off. Because after Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, when the Sun and Moon games came out, I didn't care about those. I tried pl- Sorry, I tried getting back into them because of how much I liked Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, and I probably played... Uh, a fourth you know like a quarter of uh sun and moon and then i fell off and i didn't play sword and shield when they came out and then last christmas i got sword and shield or maybe it's two years ago now uh i got sword and shield it was last year i know because i got it for you oh yeah so last christmas i got sword and shield or i got i got pokemon sword specifically in the dlc for it 
Uh, and basically ever since then, I've been really into Pokemon again. Like, I've been working on a living Dex and, like, actually catching all of the Pokemon. I don't really care about the strategy portion of it that much, but I do think it's, like, fun to collect them all. Especially with how many there are. Like, there's 900-something, where it's, like, it's a pretty big number, but it's not so big a number, and it's not so hard to get, like, the vast majority of them, at least, that it's kind of, like, daunting. It's, like, just the just the perfect level for me to want to actually go and collect all of them. Before we get too into the catching Pokemon side of the game, I want to go back on what Jordan said about, like, being, like, a... What's the word? An upperclassman in high school. And, like, it's interesting because people in my grade constantly, uh, I'm a senior, people in my grade, even, like, past few years, have talked about how, like, you know, they, they like realistic games that are, you know, real. Um, and then they go and play COD all the time. But interesting enough, they have, most of them, like, that play video games constantly talk about the Pokemon games, which is just something I found interesting. That I did not realize until Jordan, J- Jordan pointed out uh, that. Well, I think that's sort of a cultural shift in... I'm about to pull a, uh, a Ridley Scott here and say, <laughs> that's just how kids be on their phones. When you are constantly on social media, you're constantly being flooded with nostalgia stuff. So there isn't necessarily that period where everybody's pretending they don't like the things they used to like because <laughs> now someone can just share a you know a, a TikTok, I guess is how you say that, or like a share a TikTok, whatever. Uh, and it's just like, hey, remember this scene from the Pokemon show? That was cool. And then suddenly everybody's back in on Pokemon for a minute. So like I don't think there is as much of a separation in people's interest as there was between like childhood and their adolescence as there was when I was younger. I think there's also a really big thing where Pokemon has been like huge and popular for at least for me and Jackson, our entire lives. Yeah, absolutely. Like Pokemon. I I think that your generation, not your generation, but like, I, I think your age, like Pokemon kind of appeared when you were a small child. Yeah. Uh, and then you also had to sit through like the bad ones while you were in high school. Yeah. I just think that like where Pokemon's been kind of a big thing for Jackson and I's entire lives, that there hasn't really been as much of a chance for people to be like, that's just kid stuff. Because I, in my experience, at least there's always someone older than you still playing Pokemon. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is very true. That is very true. And I think it was funny when, uh, you know, I was when I was in high school, uh, everybody was, you know, sort of in this pretending that Pokemon wasn't cool anymore thing. But then when I was in college, uh, X and Y came out, and suddenly you couldn't walk by a gathering area of any kind where there weren't multiple people with 3DSs out. The, the shift was appalling. <laughs> yeah, but that's our experience and the cultural experience both Pokemon. Let's really hone in on Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Oh, you want to talk about the game that we're talking about this week? I thought... No thanks. No, no thanks. I didn't prepare anything about this game in particular. I thought... Yeah. So, the Pokemon Company has really been hitting us over the head with the fact that this game is a faithful remake of Pokemon Diamond and Pearl. And I'll give them that. 
it's true. It is definitely faithful remake. But that's not to say that there is nothing new here. Jason, you want to talk a little bit about some of those new and expanded features that are at least a little bit different from the original? Well, I think there are a couple of features that are more or less kind of things that were introduced in Pokemon games since Diamond and Pearl that have become really big that they decided to include. Chiefly among those being the XP shares in this game. You can't turn it off this time. Yeah. I love the XP share. Don't get me wrong. I think it was an incredible addition to the series. It being permanent was a big misstep. Uh, on top of that, the Poketch or Pocket Watch makes its triumphant return from the original Diamond and Pearl releases, and they've just... It's more or less kind of treated the same. It's, uh, for the most part, you can keep it hidden at the top right of your screen, but if you actually want to use it for something, you can just press one of the bumpers and it'll pull it down. Uh, and then it's this really awkward thing where it's, like, clearly meant for touch controls, but you can move a cursor around on it with the, the stick. What I think is really funny about it is if you use the D-pad to try to move the cursor around, it moves it one pixel at a time. Yeah. It's, Who wanted it's like, that? It's hilariously slow when you do it that way. They've made it to where it's a it's a full 3D game this time as well. So instead of just being kind of locked to the grid system, you can actually move in diagonals, which in some cases that actually breaks things. Um, yeah. <laughs> specifically, it's a lot easier to kind of avoid some of the trainers that previously were unavoidable. I also saw one of the gyms has like an ice puzzle where you're sliding around all the time and uh, you can actually just walk straight in and then because you, you can get next to the stairs for that puzzle, but you can't actually get on the stairs unless you clear out all the snow in the way. <laughs> in the remakes, since you can move in diagonals, you can get to a spot next to the stairs and just walk up without doing any of the puzzle, which I find very funny. Totally bypass both the puzzle and every trainer in this gym. <laughs> just a couple of other quick things. HMs uh, are back, but they are no longer... You no longer have to give up a move slot for one of your Pokemon, and the Pokemon no longer has to be in your party to use it. So that's something that I think drastically cuts down the difficulty of the game. It's in a weird middle ground, right? Because HMs are... They're still here, but you don't have to teach a Pokemon an HM to use it. It'll just call in a random wild Pokemon that knows the move to help you. But then on top of that, all of the HMs are just TMs now, which means right. you can only use them once before they break. Oh, well, there's one more big thing is just that, like in Sword and Shield, you can access your boxes from anywhere except for inside of a gym. Yes, I forgot Or inside that. of the Elite Fours, the, the Pokemon League headquarters or whatever, uh, which is, that's pretty neat. It definitely cuts down on the amount of time that I have to spend walking all the way back to a Pokemon Center to find a PC. Yes, I am significantly more likely to try and evolve Pokemon I wouldn't otherwise use if I can just swap into the menu and, you know, make a couple changes. Now, I think a lot of these changes, um, specifically things like the experience share, moving Pokemon between boxes, telling you what moves are effective, those sort of go hand in hand with another question about this game. Uh, how do you guys think the difficulty stacks up to both the original and to other games in general? I do think that, for the most part, the game is pretty easy. Like I mentioned, I picked Turtwig, so I had a Grass-type with me. 
the whole time, which grass type's pretty good against the vast majority of the gyms. Uh, there are obviously like one or two that you really have to worry about, like the fire gym. Or there's not a fire gym, but there's an, a fire elite four person. That said, the elite four, maybe I just went in too early. That's kind of what it seems like the more I think about it. But the, the elite four, I definitely had a lot of issues with, whereas I did not have too much of a problem fighting them in Sword and Shield. The Elite Four for the original releases of Gen 4 were notoriously difficult. They had There was a big jump in team level between the last gym and the first member of the Elite Four. That jump has been shortened a little bit, and you do level up faster in this game, but there is still a much bigger jump between the last gym and the Elite Four than other generations of Pokemon games. Yeah. Like just looking at the team numbers and levels, like that's that's clear there's a big a big change there. And maybe if I had messed around with new features like the the Grand Underground, which we'll get into in just a bit, maybe it would have been an easier time. But the the Pokedex in this game doesn't have like any fire types. If you don't pick the fire starter, there is only one Pokemon you can catch in the entire game that is a fire type, hmm. which is a little weird. Like it's if you didn't pick Chimchar, your only fire type that you can possibly find is Ponyta and it's evolution Rapidash. And I think that kind of makes the game harder in a lot of ways because you can't take advantage of any of the the fire type matchups other than using Rapidash, which is a fine Pokemon, but it's not great. Now, speaking of, my experience with this game has been that it is real, real easy because I, one, had Infernape, who is objectively a very good Pokemon and is a fire type, which is great for the Sinnoh region. But also, I spent a lot of time in the Grand Underground, which we'll get into shortly, but that meant I was significantly overleveled for most of the game. Like, I am already above the level of all of the Elite Four members, and I haven't even started the road to the Elite Four yet. So mm. I suspect this will be a much easier experience for me than it was for Jason. This reminds me of the problem I have Sword and Shield, where the, uh, what were they called? The Wild Zones, I think that's what they were called. They had the Dynamax battles that you could do, which were, one, really easy, and two, always gave you a fairly large amount of xp candy so you could easily level up your pokemon to be over leveled before like maybe like the second gym yeah this kind of reminds me of the problem that that had and maybe part of my issue is that i'm uh, something of a purist i like i don't really want to mess with those features until i've beaten the game because i i do feel like the the dynamax fights and stuff like that that you could do in the wild area and the Grand Underground in this game. I do feel like they're kind of built to give you an advantage over the things that are actually difficult in the game. <laughs> Especially being able to catch Pokemon that aren't in the normal decks, which you could do in both games. Really opens you up to just completely ignoring the intended difficulty curve of the game. Because, <laughs> like, there's no fire types in the Sinnoh region, really. Uh... But I think that most of the game is kind of built around that lack of fire types. So if you're going out and you have a, a team of, like, Pokemon that aren't supposed to be in the Sinnoh region until you've already beaten the game, like, you're going to be completely avoiding some of the challenges. I, I know it sounds weird. It's, it's just... I, I think that the challenges and the Pokemon that you can catch are kind of intentionally placed. 
And I think that the, the Grand Underground and the Wild areas kind of help you get around those, which just doesn't feel right to me. Let's talk about what the Grand Underground is for a minute. Basically, the original release of Diamond and Pearl had these underground caves, which you could build a base in, they added some social features, you could do some treasure hunting. All of that stuff is back and expanded upon, but they've also added these special sections you can find in the underground where Pokemon can spawn, one, in the overworld so you can see what you're fighting, and two, are a lot higher level than the wild Pokemon you would encounter above ground. So it's a much easier place to battle. What's interesting, though, is that not only can Pokemon not traditionally found in Sinnoh spawn here, you can actually control the spawn rates of certain Pokemon by how you decorate your base. Overall, I think this is an incredibly cool feature. I think this is by far the best part of the game. However, if you start it very early, which I did, you can overpower yourself significantly very, very quickly. Generally speaking, at any given time, the wild Pokemon in the Grand Underground are about 10 to 15 levels higher than the wild Pokemon you'd be encountering at that point in the story. So if you want a challenge, stay away from this. But I think from the post-game perspective and the trying to catch all the Pokemon perspective, the Grand Underground is awesome. Like, very, very cool. It has its own sort of progression hook, which I really love. Go around, you treasure hunt, you play this little mini game where you dig into the wall and you try and find items without breaking the wall itself, um, without, without doing too much damage to the wall. Um, it's fun enough. I mean, it's, it's cute, it's simple, whatever. But you can find these Pokemon statues based on the type of that Pokemon. If you display that statue in your base, you can now find more of that type of Pokemon. So, like, I was spending a lot of time hunting for a Togepi because I really wanted a Togekiss on my team. So, instead of just rerunning into the same room over and over again, hoping for its very, very low spawn rate, I put out a bunch of fairy-type statues, and therefore it made it more likely to spawn. So, that's an incredibly cool feature and has a lot that can be done with it. But, again, kind of game-breaking if you go in too early. I'm very interested in the feature. I think... Stuff like that is a good addition to make when making a remake. I still wish this game had some more Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire level of stuff with just like, you know, um, an in-game story or a I guess a post-game story. Just, you know, stuff like that. But I think Grand Underground is a good addition. Maybe scale it back to make it not, you know, make the game so easy. I think if they had just made it where you had to beat the story to access it, I think would have opened a lot of doors and I, I think that's how they kept the omega ruby alpha sapphire stuff kind of level gated and so it didn't break things because i don't think you could do the soaring stuff until very late in that game yeah no you could not yeah now another sort of i guess sub slash mini game <laughs> thing going on in this is the pokemon contest jason have you done much with the contest so far yeah, I did a couple of them. I, I think that they've kind of oversimplified the contests in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's that's been pretty much my experience with it. They turned them into a simple... Yeah, they turned it into a simple rhythm game. Right. Which, it, it just depends on what Poffins you're feeding your Pokemon and that you can follow the rhythm well enough. <laughs> I don't even yeah. think necessarily the move that you use matters quite as much. Maybe it does at like the highest levels, 
but I did the the first two or three levels of the coolness cost uh, contest because that was the poffin that I made the most on accident. I, it didn't really feel like the move I was using mattered so much as when I used it. Yeah. And then on top of that, it was just the rhythm is a little bit too easy. I wish that it got more difficult. Yeah, I I did exactly one of these just to sort of feel it out. I mean, it's fine. It doesn't. It's not something I'm necessarily interested in exploring in too much depth unless it affects you know getting the completing the Pokedex or whatever. Yeah. But it's just it's just fine. It doesn't actively detract from the game in any way. Like it doesn't. It's nothing it makes you do. And it doesn't take up a ton of time, but they also got rid of the dress up. You yeah, can put, like, that was kind of a bummer. And stuff on your Pokemon in uh, the contest in previous games, but this time it's literally just the rhythm game and picking a move. Like, there's nothing more to it. Yep. Definitely a downgrade from previous. That said, if you're trying to get them all done and you want to win them all, it's a lot easier. <laughs> Which all I really care about is getting them all done, so I can get the ribbons. One thing I'm really interested in hearing the, the difference of opinions on is sort of the art style. Now, Jackson, you haven't played a ton yet, but this is still something you can definitely comment on. How do you feel about the direction they went for the looks of the game? On one hand, I'm not a fan of the chibi art style for any overworld content. But on the other hand, I think when making a remake of a you know one of the pre-Gen 6 games which had that more like, you know, 2D art style. I understand why they went with this cuz that's that's a lot easier to implement than implementing a Gen 6 or newer art style. I think it's cute. I I personally like the art style change. I I think it's a really good middle ground between, you know, a complete art overhaul. The thing is, I think when they did these remakes, they wanted to capture the original look and feel of Diamond and Pearl, and I don't think there's a great way to do that with if you switched over to like the full 3D environments with a free camera and you know actual right. Like if they were like for this game, I understand it, even though I'm not a fan of it because it makes it makes sense. But I would not really like if they made a like if Jin, what is it, Gen Nine is that next? Yeah, if Gen Nine used this art style as their main art style, I would not be a fan. Well, I, I don't think they're going to in Gen Nine. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I mean, I mean, like hypothetically. I think for me, it grew on me. I did not like it at as a concept at all. But the more time I actually spent with it, I kind of got it. I actually, I don't love the fact that the maps on a grid. I think that's actually one of the game's biggest problems because it adds to a lot of sameness of the environments, which we now have the technology to get away from. But I actually, like, aesthetically, I like it more than I thought I would. There have been some absolutely incredible scenes where you're talking to characters like Cyrus, who's the leader of this villainous organization, and he'll say things like, we must burn this world to ash and start anew. But, like, what's actually happening on screen is two very small chibi characters looking at each other with just blank expressions. Like, it's it's led to some very funny and very weird stuff. But overall, it, it's fine. Like, I, I like it more than I thought I would, which I actively disliked it when I first saw it. <laughs> I like it for staying true to the original look. I mean, I would have preferred a remake more in line with Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire. But... Yeah. Like, especially considering this is Ilka's, like, first actual game that they've worked on, I, I think it's a very 
faithful look. I mean, it looks just like how you remember the pixel art. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and then, of course, when you go into battles, it still switches to the full 3D models, which means that everybody you see has a 2D look and a 3D look, which I think is at least somewhat interesting. And the Pokemon models, once you're actually in a Pokemon battle, it more or less looks very similar to Sword and Shield, uh, which is also a really good change because most of the battles in the original Diamond and Pearl releases took place in a white void. But now there are actual, like, backgrounds, depending on where you're at on the map. It kind of changes things up a little bit. Some of the backgrounds they've designed for combat are, are very cool, too. Like, have a lot of detail in them and change a lot more than, than most games would. Especially the, the electric gym. Or maybe it's steel. Yeah, yeah The, the, the one with one. all the cogs in the background. Looks yeah. great. Yeah, very cool stuff. The, all the battles with Team Galactic are very cool. But yeah, they've done a lot of things to sort of keep it simple, but spruce up the visuals in some cool ways. So I think I think you described it as a good middle ground, and I think that's exactly what it is pretty much across the board. I think part of it is just where Ilka is a new developer. Like, this is the first game that they've ever been kind of the lead developer on. I don't think they wanted to make too many changes. And if they ever do another Pokemon game, I'd like to see, you know, what kind of decisions they would make about this kind of thing. Like, I, I would like to see how Ilka handles the actual design of a new Pokemon game. Because God knows the Pokemon company needs to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, palette cleanser. Jackson, favorite Pokemon. Three, two, one, are we, go. Wait, are we talking about this game or all Pokemon? Wow, that was fun. Jason, favorite Pokemon. Three, two, one. Trico. Okay, Greninja. <laughs> I would have to go Gengar. It's always a tight race between Gengar and Gardevoir, though. Simp. Um, I really like Alakazam. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, like, Alakazam and Gengar are two of my favorite. Kind of, uh, I, I would definitely consider them to be series staples at this point. They're both For trading sure. Pokemon as well, which I think, you know, adds something interesting to them. Almost every Gen 1 Pokemon is a staple Pokemon. Even the really dumb ones, like Ratata, which is rat. Well, <laughs> you don't know how dumb you sound right now. You completely Pidgey, forgot about Jinx, who I've, I don't know what even oh, looks God. like. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of our favorites, the actual Pokemon designs themselves. This is more an issue with 3D Pokemon in general, I think. But a lot of Pokemon just don't look as good anymore. Have you guys noticed that? Whatever Cyndaquil's final... I know Cyndaquil is not in this game, but... Typhlosion. His final form uh, just looks garbage in the 3D art form. I think. I don't like, know if you guys have seen it recently, but... He lost the, his fire. Well, I think it turns on and off for yeah, all three of them yeah. now. But, I, but he looks really bland when he's not... Yeah, well, he's just a ferret. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My um, biggest problem is the, the color... A the lot of Pokemon have lost their colors. They're more, they're like muted, and there's just a lot more. They're blander looking. Um, Charizard's a good example. Charizard on the in the sprite graphics is this bright orange with some like darker shades around the edges and stuff. And then what you actually get in the 3D models is like a pale is like a pale red, and it's not very. 
I don't know. It, a lot of them have lost their energy, I think. I think See, part I've, of that... I've never played any of the 2D ones, so you guys are going to notice much more of this than I will. Part of that is just that it's just art decisions by whoever made like the 3D models and whoever's doing that. I think a, a bigger part of it is in just that the 3D models don't look as good as the 2D sprites because with the 2D sprites, you have complete control over like what pose they're in and what angle you're looking at it from and you know where the yeah. lighting is coming from. I, I think course. that the, the 2D sprites are like lovingly crafted. And when you, when you switch over to 3D models, it's first off, it's just interpreting what those 2D sprites were. Especially, like, with the early Pokemon. I think, that, like, basically everything since X and Y, they haven't changed that much in the games, you know? But right. when you're looking at, like, the Gen 1 Pokemon, they've changed a little bit, even in the 2D games. And then when they switched over to 3D, like, which version of the 2D sprite do you interpret? Like, am I is it a Gen 1 Charizard or a Gen 4 Charizard? It does not say, like, all of them look bad now. Especially the Pokemon made in Gen 6 and beyond. Some of them still look very cool. It's just, I noticed a lot of the older Pokemon just look a lot more neutral now. I wish which, that they would yeah. give more texture to the Pokemon. I think they all For look sure. kind of weirdly smooth. Yes, absolutely. Like, even the one, there's no real difference in the ones that are supposed to, yeah, the ones that are supposed to be, like, super furry versus the ones that are literally made of rock. Like, at least visually. It looks like yeah. if you touched either of them, it would just be plastic. Yeah. Yeah. Now, not only have the Pokemon changed, a lot of them have just disappeared. <laughs> and for me personally, I thought them removing a ton of Pokemon from Sword and Shield was a horrible decision. Like, had absolutely no place to make that decision. But for Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, it doesn't bug me as much that they didn't bring back Gen 5 and Beyond Pokemon. But what did you guys think? Yeah, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm fine with them in a lot. I think I'm fine with them keeping at least the national decks the same as it was in Gen 4. My bigger issue with this game is that they kept the normal Sinnoh decks, which is you have to catch every single Pokemon in the Sinnoh decks before you can get the national decks. You just have to see them. You don't or, have yeah, you them. have to see them. Sorry. So there's only 151 Pokemon in the base game, unless you go to the Grand Underground. Uh, so you have to beat the game before you can see the other 300 Pokemon, however many. And because of that, and it's especially noticeable in comparison to Sword and Shield, You'll go a really long time without seeing a new Pokemon. Yeah. And worse than that, you'll see Pokemon from the first cave in the last cave. Like, you're running into a lot of the same Pokemon in whatever the first cave is that you do when you're in Victory Road's caves. Hmm. The fact that you'll yeah. run into Pokemon like Geodude with roughly the same frequency, whether you're level you know, five or level 25, it just makes things 
really bland. And it, it doesn't give you much reason to look around for the actual new Pokemon that are in the new areas that you're going to. That's actually a really good point, something I didn't piece together until just now. And on so, top, so like for, for reference, this game has 151 Pokemon in its in its uh, base Pokedex. And these are all the Pokemon that you can run into until you've at least seen all of them. In Pokemon Sword and Shield, that number is 400. One thing I noticed myself doing in this game that I've never done before is pretty much as soon as I would get to a new route, I would immediately look up what was on that route because I knew... And I, I didn't realize why I was doing this until you said it. I knew that the likelihood I was just going to run into the same half a dozen Pokemon was so high that I didn't feel like looking for it unless I could, unless I could know for sure there was a Pokemon I didn't have yet. And for the first probably third of the game, there aren't any. You see the same half a dozen Pokemon the entire time. Each route will add like one new Pokemon. You see the same dozen or so Pokemon and their evolutions for the entire game. Yes, the entire game. Like, the first time I ran into a Ponyta was right after finishing uh, Floroma Town, which is like the town with all the flowers. Uh, and then they were just on every route after that. Same with Geodude or Zubat. You know, every time I was in a cave, there was a Zubat. It just feels like there's not a lot of variety into the, in the Pokemon that you run into in the overworld. I think that that's solved a little bit with the Grand Underground, but if you're not going in until pretty late in the game, it doesn't do much for that. Yeah, and I guess this is really more of a complaint with the original Gen 4, but it wasn't an issue with the original Gen 4 because there was only 400-something Pokemon at that point, and all of the ones in Gen 4, or at least a bunch of them, were new. I, I think this is just one of those things. It would be noticeable if we went back and played any of the original Pokemon games. Another big issue I have is this game returns to random encounters, which sometimes is fine. Like, I don't mind random encounters when I'm, you know, in the middle of the, the bell curve of running into Pokemon. Sometimes, though, you're on the outliers. As in, you'll take one step and run into a Pokemon, or you won't run into any Pokemon for like a hundred steps. It just gets really annoying, especially when you're trying to get somewhere quickly, like a Pokemon Center, and every single step you take, you run into a Pokemon. Uh, at one point when I was exploring, I ran into a Pokemon, I, I ran into 12 Pokemon in a row, one step between each one. Insane. Like, I, <laughs> I don't have time for that. Like, I'm trying to get somewhere. And then, of course, they're all Pokemon I've seen before, too, so it's not even worth catching. I think that Sword and Shield sort of has the perfect balance of this, where you can see all the Pokemon in the overworld except for a handful that are just hidden in the tall grass. And you can go and search for those in the tall grass, but you need to search them out. You're not going to just stumble across them. I believe there's, I believe there's a Poke Radar or something like that that you can get in Gen 4 that will show you where Pokemon are in the grass, but until you get that, it's insane. And I still don't have it, so I don't know if I just missed it or if it's like a post-game thing. Well, and actually, that's not as useful as you're thinking because what it does is when you battle a Pokemon, you can then look for specific Pokemon, and it will show you, like, certain patches of grass will shake. But that's not to say you won't run into another Pokemon in the grass between where you're at and that one. So... It's not even as useful as that. Oh. So, yeah. 
it's great for like shiny hunting or there's certain Pokemon that only spawn if you've chained a certain number or can only be found with the radar, but it is not useful for actually mitigating rare uh, like uh, random encounters. The switch away from entirely random encounters was the best thing the Pokemon series ever did. So that's a lot of Diamond and Pearl talk. What do you guys want to see for future Pokemon games? I want to see a mix of this and Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire remake. Because, like, while that was a good remake, I feel like it needed something like the Grand Underground to really make it, like, a top-tier game. I mean, it already is, in my opinion, the best Pokemon game, but, like, I feel like they could have added something like that to make it stand out even more from the original version, besides better graphics, Mega Evolutions, and the post-game content. I wish they would put more of a focus on a story in these games. I'm done asking for that. I've waited I've waited three gens. It's not happening. And I, I think a bigger thing that I would really like is more expressive avatars in the game. It feels like there's only two or three facial expressions on the avatars, even in Sword and Shield. I, I think it would be more interesting if they put more detail into those. I really like... I mean, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire is really basically everything I want from a remake. Like, hit all the same points, but rebuild it from the ground up to make some new interesting experiences from it right yeah and like i feel like it did it wasn't until this was announced uh diamond and pearl remakes were announced that i really thought of like remakes adding something like the grand underground which is just like you know a completely different mode that wasn't even in the original game i really like the changes that they made for uh sword and shield uh, especially the Sword and Shield DLCs, where things were a bit more open, there was plenty of places to explore. I'd like to see kind of a focus on the same things that those DLC focused on, whereas the main game felt a little boring in a lot of ways. It felt like you were just kind of walking down corridors for the most part when you were traveling between the different routes. Uh, I'd like to see some more interesting map design. <laughs> There's plenty of things I can ask for with Pokemon, uh, but I really like what they did with the DLC for Sword and Shield. And I would just kind of like to see that kind of polish and design for the entirety of whatever the next game in the series is. Other than Arceus, of course, which it kind of seems like it's going an entirely different direction than the mainline Pokemon games anyways. So how about you, Jordan? I think I'm already kind of seeing what I want for the series with Arceus. And that is not to say that I think Arceus is going to be great, because I already can see a lot of failure points in just the promotional material. But I want them to make big swings. I don't want another game that is just get the eight badges and beat the Elite Four and maybe stumble your way through stopping a terrorist organization in the process. I like Fundamental change-ups are good at this point, because the Pokemon Company are probably the laziest game developers in the world. Sorry, and it's they, Game Freak. Sorry, yeah, Game Game Freak, yeah. Game Freak are some of the laziest developers in the world, and they will continue giving us watered-down versions of the games forever. That, come, that being said, I enjoyed Sword and Shield a lot more than the average person. But Arceus gives me hope. I actually have a very specific image of a game that Arceus almost checks the boxes for, but... In my opinion, the best modern turn-based game is Dragon Quest XI. And a Pokemon game that's the size and scale of that, even including like the four 
like you play as a party of four fighting a big group of like a dozen. I even want that kind of thing. Like that emphasizes more strategy. It puts more emphasis on your party dynamics. It's just overall more visually appealing than one-on-one battles. I yeah. think the constant one-on-one battles are big, are one of the biggest weaknesses of the Pokemon series. I think they the are most, so much less interesting. I think the most fun experiences I've had with uh, Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl are the the double battles. I think they come up a lot more often in that game than some of the games that come afterwards. Yes, I wish for that sure. they were. I I almost wish that it was exclusively double battles. We already got an absolute home run of a game with Pokemon Coliseum, which was exclusively double battles. And had by far the best story of any Pokemon game. That's not saying much. It's still not great. But another game like that would be excellent. A game like that, but that still has wild Pokemon in a much bigger map, I think would be perfect. But the Pokemon company likes to give us the same thing over and over again. I'm sure Gen 9 will be Gen 8, just replace Dynamaxing with a different gimmick. That's basically all I'm expecting. Yeah. Unless Arceus just performs so much better than we would ever anticipate, which I guess is possible. <laughs> I hope that the next one doesn't remove Pokemon like uh, Sword and Shield did. God, I hope they're not dumb enough to do that again. I, I don't <laughs> mind there being Pokemon that you can't catch, but I, I think it's kind of weird to just completely remove Pokemon from the game entirely. For Especially sure. with the addition of things like Pokemon Home, just not being able to you know, transfer a bunch of your Pokemon into Sword and Shield for no real reason is kind of lame. Because the 3D yeah. models are all there. I mean, like, they might not be in Sword and Shield's files, but there was a whole big move several Pokemon games ago where they were like, all right, let's make future-proofed Pokemon 3D models. <laughs> but then, for some reason, Sword and Shield, they were just like, nah, let's just not use half of them. And it was kind of fixed with the DLC, but... Jason, you said something once that really sort of made me think about it differently in that every Pokemon is someone's favorite. And if you are removing even a single Pokemon, like not even possible to transfer in, that's really going to suck for at least one person. (laughs) And I think what was a bigger problem with Sword and Shield, not just removing them, they removed most of the popular ones. (laughs) Like your Charizards and your Pikachus were back, of course, but... A lot of the really cool Pokemon that a lot of fans really liked were just gone. Which like is I don't so even weird. think Squirtle and Bulbasaur were in until the DLC came out. Not until the DLC. Yeah, which is weird because Charizard was like a focus of the story even. Yeah. Yeah. So many weird decisions happened there. And I, I think the Gen the Gen two starters, they're still not available in Sword and Shield. It just seems weird to not include, at the very least, all of the starters. Yeah, for sure. Especially considering almost everyone has especially fond memories of some of the starters. Okay, I think it's about time to wrap it all up. Let's hear our final thoughts. Jackson? I mean, I only played until, like, not even the first gym of this game. So uh, I don't have too much to say other than I think additions like the Grand Underground are something we should see more of for future remakes. Additions like this and feature I haven't used yet should be in all the games. <laughs> well, like, I I don't mean, like, you know, exactly stuff like that. I just mean, like, I think future remakes should add a new mode to, like, have players to play with instead of just playing, like, 
the same game again, but with updated graphics. For sure. For sure. Yeah, I get that. Jason, tell us about it. Pokemon Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl, I think, are fine remakes. Uh, they don't really have too many bells and whistles. It, Other than the Grand Underground, it does exactly what you'd expect from a Pokemon Diamond and Pearl remake. I don't really know if there's too much bad to say about it that's not just issues with the original you know diamond and pearl releases but i think that some of the changes that they decided to make especially stuff like simplifying contests were weird decisions um but overall if you're someone that really enjoyed gen 4 or if really if just enjoyed any of the original 2d pokemon games this captures the same energy like it might as well be a 2d game so if you really enjoyed the 2D games, then I think you'll have a good time with this one. And if you really enjoyed Gen 4 in particular, then there'll be a lot of nostalgia here for you. For sure. This is a nostalgia-heavy experience for me personally. That said, um, if you're new to Pokemon and you're looking to get into a game, Sword and Shield's cheaper at this point, so I would recommend going to get that. I think if you're new to the series, Sword and Shield's just the better option in general. Yeah. I think that there are parts of this game that just have not aged well. For outside viewers <laughs> so you know take it with a grain of salt because i love this series but it does feel like sword and shield are a, a better jumping on point let's put it this way i'm a big fan of pokemon very nostalgic for gen 4 pretty lukewarm on this yeah i can i can definitely agree with that the way i see it pokemon brilliant diamond and shining pearl are decent remakes of excellent games some of the best in the series and the quality of life upgrades that streamline catching and evolving Pokemon and some pretty cool new stuff like the Grand Underground go a really long way in renewing my interest in catching them. But at the end of the day, these are the same games they were 15 years ago. And nothing has really been added or changed that will totally reinvigorate the series or this game for newer audiences. If you're really interested in going back and experiencing Gen 4, might I recommend Pokemon Platinum for the Nintendo DS? The original games, and specifically more recently Sword and Shield, there was a big emphasis on exploration. And I think that the fact that this game is still on that grid that was used in the original, and the fact that there's just a lot of sameness between the towns and the routes you're on throughout the game, that sense of exploration is just not there this game felt more like checking off boxes than it felt like going into new and exciting areas and again i have a lot of love for diamond and pearl and the nostalgia really did make me enjoy big chunks of this game but it's nowhere near as good as remakes like heart gold and soul silver or remakes like omega ruby and alpha sapphire and it doesn't do enough to switch up its own formula to really be that appealing overall lukewarm was a good way to put it <laughs> all right well it's a lot of pokemon talk and we got a lot of other stuff to get into so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with all the headlines ladies gentlemen and anybody else listening to the podcast we're back and we got some fresh headlines for you number one Amazon and EA are getting together and they're making a Mass Effect TV series, possibly, maybe. Who knows? And all I'm saying is it's about dang time. 
that they turned a video game into a TV show. Am I right? I can't think of a, a video game that would quite make the transition to TV series as well as Mass Effect. I mean, it's got everything. There's enough linear storytelling to have an overarching plot and enough side quests to really pick and choose what you want to do. I think, you know, most people probably think the Mass Effect is a bad game to turn into a show because it's a very, you know, it's, you know, it's not pick your own of like adventure, but it's a lot of things that happen are because of whatever you choose to do. Mass Effect is an expansive sci-fi universe that has tons of things to explore there. So they could easily make something that doesn't even involve the main characters. Well, beyond that, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't have to be, you know, canon to your playthrough of Mass Effect. It could just be the story of the games, and I think that yeah. that would serve pretty well as a television series. Yeah. Honestly, I think in some ways it would be better as a TV series. Yeah, I would be shocked if this is just one-to-one -one the same story as any of the games, because I think that would sort of fly in the face of the the potential that this universe has. Yeah, like, I think they could easily make something based off the original story of the game, but just considering how much stuff there is to explore in Mass Effect's universe, I think they could easily do something not even evolving the main characters, and it'd still be Mass Effect. I think it would be pretty neat if they did, like, an anthology series. Yeah. You know, exploring different people of different races in different, like, major conflicts throughout the galaxy. Yeah, that would be very You know, cool. like, show us some of the big war against the Rachni. Show us, you know... Like, the war between the, um... Can't even think of their names now. Like, the Genophage stuff. Yeah, the Solarians creating the Genophage, yeah. I think, would be really interesting. Specifically, like, the discussions where they're deciding whether or not they want to make it. Yeah. I, I think there's definitely a lot you can do with Mass Effect. They they set a lot of groundwork of just establishing this galaxy to make it feel real and lived in. Yeah, so. it's one of the reasons I love Mass Effect and would really like to see a TV show of it. It's also just, hearing about this just made me realize how many TV and movie adaptations there have been or are in the works recently of video games. They don't go anywhere usually, though. No. Recently, two big ones that were surprisingly good, Detective Pikachu and... Sonic. Wasn't expecting those to be good. They were actually pretty good. I still haven't seen it, but I've heard The Witcher is really good. Or I've only seen like a few episodes. Yeah, there's The Witcher, which I think it might actually be more based off the books than the games, but still. like. And then you've got the Uncharted movie coming out January or February of next year. And then there's the Last of Us series in production. There's a lot of stuff that is has happened recently or will be happening soon that just shows that like video games in movies and TVs can be good. We are going to forget that Welcome to Raccoon City exists. Have you, either of you seen any of the Amazon series they've done so far? Of like in general or? Yeah, I just kind of was wondering if either you had an idea oh. of like the kind of money that yeah, they put in um, these. I watched, no idea. I watched the first season of The Boys, and while I wasn't... Oh, I guess that is a big one. And there, there's a lot of money in for CGI. In yeah, it. and while I was not a fan of it because of its, like, over-the-top violence and stuff that didn't feel too needed, I, like, it was a very well-made show and had a, I, just, I assume, a pretty big budget. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I'm definitely happy it's Amazon making it and not netflix yeah yeah because a lot of the stuff i've seen with netflix it, it doesn't really feel like they put the same kind of time and energy into it yeah or especially it doesn't seem like netflix wants to give out money for things like this as much 
Also, everything Netflix makes sort of just has something about it. Like, it always is sort of... There's a shared tone. It's just a tone. Netflix feel. Yeah, and it's generally not great. <laughs> I think that's mostly just because Netflix has gotten so big that you literally just can put anything on there and people will watch it. No, but there's something dis- there's something distinct about the things that Netflix makes. Uh, and it's not... I mean, Netflix is just the producer, more or less. It, but can you identify when a movie is made or produced by, you know, Lionsgate versus, I don't know, whatever Gary Bruckheimer's thing is? <laughs> I can't. I feel like I always know if something is Netflix, though. And not just because they put the Netflix logo a lot. Yeah. But I notice that you didn't mention one of the biggest video game movies on the horizon. The one that's going to completely reinvent what we know about video game movies. Sly Cooper the movie? You got it. The Super Mario Brothers movie. I mean, I don't know, fam. I've heard that he's going to be doing an Italian accent for this movie. Oh. Do you have word on that? You could not be more wrong, my friend. Chris Pratt, you might think, it's weird they're giving an, a role of an Italian man to someone like him. But turns out, he knows how to beat the system. He's just not going to talk like an Italian man. Instead, he's going to do something phenomenal. That's a quote. According to the co-producer of the movie, his accent, or his voice for Mario is phenomenal. Which, of course, does mean he's going to talk like Chris Pratt. <laughs> I think he should have been like, uh, the voice he's doing for this movie... <laughs> It's awful. Hot garbage. <laughs> You're gonna hate it. <laughs> What's funny about this movie is they could do literally anything with it and people would still go see it. They could do literally anything with it. It could be the worst movie ever made. People would still go see it and its potential sequels. But instead, they are getting the most expensive cast that has ever been outside of the MCU. <laughs> and, uh... Boy, howdy, they're taking some swings. <laughs> I'm a little bit concerned about Mario being a character that will talk a lot in the movie at all. Historically speaking, when Mario has spoken in Mario media, it has not been great. <laughs> I'm just excited. Do you think that maybe Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong is going to do a fun voice? <laughs> I, Actually, no. But, He's going to do an Italian accent. <laughs> yeah. Everyone but Mario is going to be Italian in this movie. What about Luigi? Especially. Come straight out. I hope he's like Russian, just for some reason. No, Luigi's like for real Italian. Yeah, he's not even like Brooklyn Italian. He's like Rome. He's Italian. not. He's not gonna sound like Charlie Day playing Luigi. He is like Charlie Day is like he is currently living in Italy, getting a feel for the, the culture. He's gonna come back and sound spot on, unrecognizable as himself. Um, he's just gonna be speaking Italian. Yeah. yeah. That would be the funniest way to handle this. Chris Pratt's going to come in and be like, What's up, bro? Are you ready to go do some plumbing? And Luigi's going to be like, Do it, do it, do it. Insert <laughs> Italian gibberish here. <laughs> you coward. <laughs> He's going to be like, We. No, wait. He's going to be like, Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> He's going to be like, spaghetti. 
I make my own pasta. Every time that Chris Pratt comes up in the news again, I'm reminded of the rest of the cast of this movie. And like some of it makes perfect sense. Anya Taylor-Joy is Peach. I can to- I totally get it. Jack Black is Bowser. On it. Seth Rogen, Donkey Kong. Perfect. But just Chris Pratt at the center of this makes no sense. I can even get Charlie Day as Luigi, but Chris Pratt as Mario? Well, and of course the most important character... Sebastian Maniscalco's Spike. I don't know. Who, I don't know who this actor is, and I don't. I don't even know for sure who Spike is off the top of my head. I think he's the one that that spits out a big mm, spiky yes, ball. Yes, the green it. and blue thing. It's time to pull the plug. Jackson, what else you been into this week? I finally had a good break from having to play games to review them for the podcast, so I decided I'd finally start playing Death Stranding. I borrowed Jason's copy like a month or more ago to play, and I just never had the time, but... And thank God you had no other games to play this week. (laughs) Amen. And, you know, I I mean, I think it's really fun. Um, I get why people, when it came out, criticizing its gameplay, because you do just walk around a lot. But I personally like that. I like just seeing the world in this game. It's a very interesting one. You're not just walking around. You're a delivery boy. Yeah. A delivery man. I feel so cool when I'm playing that game. It should be on an episode of Ride (laughs) with Norman Reedus. But, yeah, there's a lot of just, like, interesting stuff in the game, too. Like, the whole, like... The Death Stranding itself. You got you got the BTs. You got the BBs. You got Dooms. You got a bunch of weird stuff that makes no sense. It's very Kojima. There are so many acronyms. It's it's very Kojima. Um, it is you know because it's made by him. How many Kojimas would you give it on the Kojima scale? Gets max Kojimas. Which is how many? Uh, a hundred. I was thinking like eight. <laughs> My favorite part of Death Stranding definitely has to be the product placement that's in the game. It's honestly incredible. I've never seen a game that has like such obvious and like in your face all over product placement and enjoyed it. I mean, if you look at like the NBA 2K games, it's a bit ridiculous, but it's not funny. Like seeing Jake from State Farm randomly appear when you're playing NBA 2K isn't funny. It's just kind of like sad and weird. I don't know. I thought it was funny. But like, the whole process of drinking monster energy drink just to pee it out other places and that's how you can like clear areas of BTs and make new grenades and stuff like that. Is this so but out no, there It's not weird? monster energy anymore if you're playing the director's cut. Now it's just Bridges energy. And there's no fun in that. Also, this cool thing happens whenever you're in one of the private rooms. Uh, which sounds really weird, but those are just like Rooms for anyone to use around, like, and at any distribute, at any distribution center to just sleep at. Uh, you can just like, like, tell the game to look at these collectibles, and Norman Reedus will just come to the camera like a small child and stare right in it, and then point at the collectibles, and then the camera moves to them, and it's just funny every single time. But then on top of that, there's all the stuff for like. When you sit down to use the bathroom, it shows you an ad for Ride with Norman Reedus. 
Like, it very much leans into the fact that, like, yeah, we got Norman Reedus to play the main character. And he has a show on AMC called Ride with Norman Reedus. And you should watch it, apparently. And, of course, the story is just yeah. insane. Although, we already mentioned the number yeah. of Kojima. I'm not really too so. far in it enough to really touch on the story too much. All I can say is, if you were looking for a game where you have to deliver your dead mother to an incinerator, this is the game for you. Yeah, but then you get your sister mother. <laughs> That's also true. I still don't understand what she's what she is. She's also on a beach on the other side of the country, So, uh, but also in a beach not in the country. But also like in the country. Um, she's on a beach. Sometimes you're also on that beach. But then sometimes you're also in water. But then you're not in the water. And you're alive again. I didn't mention it. But when you're in the water you're dead. But you can just come back to life. So it's not really an issue. Yeah. That all makes sense to me. Anyways. I don't understand any of whatever we're saying. Uh, so Jason what have you been doing? <laughs> Well, I haven't really been playing too much other than, you know, Pokemon this week. But I did finally manage to pick myself up an Xbox Series X. And it's pretty nice being able to finally play, like, most of the, <clears throat> most of the Game Pass library. Naturally, when I got such a piece, like, a powerful piece of hardware into my living room, first thing I had to do was try to play Oblivion. Uh, but then I figured out the DLC isn't included with the Game Pass version, so now I'm playing Morrowind. A game that really showcases what the Series X can do. You know what, it's actually kind of funny, because uh, Morrowind does not run as well on the Series X as it does on, like, my computer. Even before I upgraded my computer. Like, I, a mid-range computer these days runs Morrowind better than an Xbox Series X. Just in terms of, like, load times. <laughs> And then on top of that, you can install mods to make it, like, look better. Um, but, yeah. I've just kind of been having a good time. Uh, it took some time to replay. Or not not replay, but, you know, sit down and try the Forza Horizon 5 on the Series X. And it looks a lot better than it does on my computer. <laughs> Probably because it's optimized really well to run on the Series X. And the ray tracing and stuff like that looks incredible when you're playing it, though. One of the best-looking games I think I've ever played. And it was already pretty nice-looking on my PC. But I don't really have too, too much to say other than that. Uh, Jordan, what have you been up to? Well, I also managed to procure an Xbox this week. Just the Series S, not the X. So we all missed out on the on talking about Forza on modern hardware. But, but I actually want to talk about a different little game. A game I think I actually have talked about before, but it's been a while. It is a roguelike first-person shooter RPG thing called Gunfire Reborn. It just had its 1.0 launch last week. It's a game I've been playing for quite a while now. It is a Borderlands if Borderlands was a roguelike. It has the same style, a lot of the same over-the-top weaponry, lots of ridiculous builds you can do where you can output tons and tons and tons of damage. Uh, has some pretty cool progression loops as well. Has a lot more progress that carries over between runs than your average roguelike. But with the 1.0 launch, they added the final, or at least the, the last base game character. And they added the true final boss fight to the game, all of which is very, very cool. It, it's just a really solid game, and I really recommend it, especially if you have at least one other person to play with. You just run around, kill some guys, they drop some crazy weapons, and you... You know, piece together how you want to use those other wep those weapons, with other weapons, and 
it, it has a lot of cool stuff to it. So if you like roguelikes and you like shooters and the prospect of them being connected sounds good at all, I highly recommend it. That being said, there are some anthropomorphic animals. So of course, don't spend any time looking at this game on the internet or you're going to see some real weird stuff. But that just about does it for another episode of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you'd like to contact, contact us, we have three ways you can do that. On Twitter, at TBMcast. On Instagram, at Totally Biased Media. And you can send an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Send us your reviews for recent releases, ga- recent release games and movies. Uh, send us your suggestions for the show, suggestions for what we should talk about. Anything you want to tell us about the show, we're happy to hear it, and we will engage however we can. But... Wait. I have another article that we must read. It's been confirmed by the franchise director of Halo that Master Chief pees in his suit, and it smells really bad. Anyways, for the Totally Biased Media Podcast. (laughs) I'm Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. You just felt the bias. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.